So back in 2001, when they took a poll of a whole bunch of people, 68% of Americans said they believed the devil existed. 2011, they took the same poll. It was down to 61%. Last year, 2020, only 56%. 2019, that's the most recent I could find, 80% of Americans believed in some form of a higher power. Not necessarily a god, but some sort of higher power. But only 56% believe in the God of the Bible. The same percentage of those who also believe the devil exists. Well, I've heard a lot of people talk about why God allowed COVID-19 or declare that God sent COVID-19 in order to punish the world. I've heard very few point to Satan as the possible responsible party. I did find an entire article dedicated to kale. Yes, kale, that leafy green, in my opinion, tasteless vegetable being the gift of Satan to the world. And he even claimed responsibility for it. I can almost believe it. But I could find very, very few where Satan is either blamed or credited with COVID-19 unless it's just being sarcastic. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they throw out a few things they've heard. Then Jesus gets a lot more personal. Who do you say that I am? It's a good question. I was thinking about the reasons I might tell someone to get behind me. The three most likely are these. I wanted a good seat at an event, got there really early. I've been standing in line forever, and some guy decides to cut in front of me. And I turn and say, get behind me. You don't deserve to be up there. Second would be if a bunch of us were going to go somewhere and we've got multiple vehicles and they don't know where they're going, but I've been there before. And I say, get behind me. I'll lead the way. And the third. The third is where I say, get behind me because I want to protect you. Get behind me so that I can be between whatever is dangerous and you and stay there until it's safe. When Peter tells Jesus, enough with the suffering and dying monologue, Jesus, let's get positive. Let's think positively. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. What do you think Jesus meant? You know, obviously, if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, we're all doomed. No crucifixion means no resurrection, means we're not saved. Satan is the only one who doesn't want Jesus to actually go through with the whole Messiah story. He would really like him to stop around chapter 4 and never get to the end credits. I've heard people say since Jesus wouldn't listen to Satan in the wilderness, Satan was maybe hoping that Jesus would listen to Peter. That sounds a little far-fetched. I, I just don't see Jesus going through everything that he's gone through and then saying, you know what, Peter, you're right. What was I thinking? Let's go fishing. We'll let the world go to hell because after all, they deserve it. Peter, Peter was just trying to be a good friend. I mean, when someone you love is feeling depressed and they are seemingly talking nonsense, you tell them everything's going to be okay. The sun's going to come out tomorrow. You sing kumbaya. You toast some marshmallows. You have a pillow fight. And you, well, you stay up all night painting each other's toenails. And then the next day, everybody feels better. When Jesus makes sure the other disciples are watching before he tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, you're talking nonsense that would condemn the entire world for eternity. I get it. It's like when your seven-year-old says, Daddy, let me drive today. I've been watching you. I know how to do it. 
You don't toss the keys at him and say, now be careful and don't hit the mailbox and make sure you're back before dark. No, instead you say, you don't have a driver's license, you don't have insurance, and you can't reach the brake pedal. Oh, and that tra roughly translates as get behind me and someday you'll understand why you're in the back seat. And by the way, you make sure their siblings hear you when you say it so they don't get any ideas. See, it's not about shaming them. It's about protecting them until they're actually ready, even if they don't understand right now. It's really easy to think you know what you're doing, that you could be Superman or Captain America or Savior of the world. How hard could it be? I mean, you know, when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, you got to take up your cross and follow me. That's kind of, well, that's, that's very extreme. There has to be an easier, less painful way that doesn't involve suffering, a cross, and dying. In the last few months, I have been part of a group interviewing individuals who are almost pastors. After years of reading books and taking classes and leading worship services and preaching sermons and doing all sorts of other pastory things, they filled out a lot of forms, provided some of their sermons for us to go over, answered hundreds of questions about the Bible and the church. And now a few of us interview them to make sure that they are ready to stick a 75-cent piece of plastic in their shirt collar and be called a pastor. 32 years ago, I had my interview. And just so you know, I knew all the answers. I knew exactly what to say. I already had a clerical collar and a 75-cent piece of plastic to put in it. I was just waiting for the committee to give me permission to go find a phone booth and change into my pastor outfit so I could go out and save the world, or at least save the people in my first congregation. Now, here's some of those things that I knew. Because God is God, His grace and love is not limited to one group of people. And then I quoted Psalm 82, 8, Isaiah 25, John 3, 16, 1 John 4, 14, and Revelation 21, verses 24 to 26. Because God is God, even though sin has devastated humanity and left us without the, without the ability to save ourselves, He is still powerful enough, almighty enough, in order to save us. And so I pointed to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Romans 5, 12 to 21, Isaiah 30, 18, and 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Because God is God, even though we don't always want to listen to Him, His word and His promise are always available to us. And there I pointed out uh, Acts 17, 26, and 7, Acts 14, 16, and 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 2 Peter 1, verse 21. I also knew that because God is God, sin must be atoned for. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Heaven is forever. No one is beyond redemption. Satan and evil are real. We are saved by grace through faith. Justification comes first and then sanctification. Faith without works is dead. Truth without love is lost. And I backed up all of those doctrines with a very long list of Bible verses. 32 years later, I know a couple more things, but I've changed. I am not less certain than all those things the committee grilled me on. I'm actually more certain. But I've also learned, and I'm still learning, that knowledge puffs up and love builds up. And if you want to look that verse up, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. You see, God keeps teaching me the heart and mind have to work together in this thing called life. Peter fully understood the post-resurrection world. He skipped all the chapters. He went straight to the credits where it said, Jesus wins the end. 
which is why he told Jesus, you know, let's design some matching shirts with the hashtag Jesus saves. See if Marvel will let you become one of the Avengers and get some social media influencers to mention all the really cool stuff that you're doing. Peter knew exactly who Jesus was. He also knew exactly what he could do. He just didn't understand how he had to do it and why it mattered that he did it exactly the way that Jesus said it needed to be done. Which is why Jesus had to put Peter in his place. Peter was trying to cut in front of Jesus and lead the victory parade. And Satan would have destroyed him with nothing more than his left thumb because his right thumb would have been too powerful. So, that's when Jesus said, if you try to be the Savior, you're going to lose your life because you aren't me. But if you get behind me, I'll protect you and make sure you get home. Jesus put Peter in his place not to shame him, but to save him, even though he deserved to be shamed. Peter didn't understand why Jesus said what he said or did what he did on that day any more than I understood 32 years ago what I was doing when I spouted off all those Bible passages. You see, in that interview, the committee told me, yep, you now have permission. Go find a phone booth, stick a 75 cent plastic tab in your collar. You can officially be called a pastor. You know, the reason Peter did what he did it's because he wasn't ready to understand the mystery and the majesty of God's love. Neither was I 32 years ago. He couldn't see the complete picture. He didn't understand why God needed to suffer or why God would need to die, especially for a bunch of sinners. Certainly God has better things to do than get crucified, doesn't he? When Jesus says, no cutting in line, Peter, you aren't ready. I know you think you are, but trust me, you aren't. Get behind me so I can protect you, so I can lead you. He was speaking the truth and love to a heart and soul and mind that couldn't know what love really was yet. Something I had to learn as a pastor, which was something they could not teach me at the seminary, was no matter how good or bad of a preacher I am, no matter how loudly I talk, how funny my jokes are, or how great the stories are, I'm never going to be good enough to convince you of the mystery and the majesty of God's grace and God's love. Not at least by my preaching or telling jokes or stories. It might be my deepest desire, but death and resurrection cannot be taught. It has to be lived. John 14 is another place in the Bible where Jesus tells his disciples he's got to suffer and die before being resurrected on the third day. And it's no different in the Gospel of John than it is in our lesson. The disciples still don't get it. And so Jesus says, after I'm gone, the Father will send the Spirit. And he's going to remind you of everything I said. And I can hear the disciples saying, we don't need anybody to help us remember. Our memories is perfect. And Jesus mutters under his breath, yeah, but you're going to need someone to help you understand because that's where you're really falling down right now. Ever gone to a garage sale or walked by a neighbor's garage and seen all the exercise equipment that's all dusty or all of those piles of as-seen-on-TV miracle items? Most of us have a heap of dream dashers and false hope givers somewhere. Every one of those things promised us a shortcut, a way to get what we wanted without the pain, the mess, or the time normally required. You know, the reason I'm not too hard on Peter for taking Jesus aside and saying there's got to be a better and an easier and obviously less painful way is because that's what I would have done if I'd been there. Come on, Jesus, let's take a shortcut. Cut out all the pain, gore, blood, and death, and jump straight to the credits where it says, the end, Jesus wins, because I've already read the Bible, and I know that's what it says. I know that's what's going to happen. 
In Jesus' words, get thee behind me, Satan, are what we all need to hear. Except that if we'd been there, we wouldn't have understood him any more than Peter did. But instead of a look of red-faced anger and a total disappointment on Jesus' face, I think we would have seen a hint of love. Maybe even a little bit of pleading. Because he knows on the other side of Easter, it will all make sense. That we will get it. Because death and resurrection are best experienced, not taught. Until then, Jesus needs us to get behind him so that he can protect us and lead us to that moment where it all becomes something that we fully understand. Not because it was taught to us, but because we understand how it applies to our life. If you have a pile of false hope givers and dream dashers, if you are faced with limitations and stop signs, then you're ready to hear what Jesus has to say. You don't need to be told to get thee behind me because you're already there. You're tired of shortcuts. You're tired of the easy way because they don't work. You've tried over and over. And by the way, there's no shame here. No guilt. This is where the cross leads us. To the place where we come to see if there is going to be a resurrection, there first has to be a crucifixion. You know, denying yourself, by the way, is not letting you off the hook. Your sins aren't suddenly magically gone, washed away by a magic wand. There is a price to pay, a steep one, which is why Jesus not only had to tell Peter to get thee behind me, Satan, but why he also has to tell us as well. We cannot cut in line pretending to be a savior for ourselves or anyone else. You see, the big difference between God and me, he never thinks he's me. But there are way too many times in my life when I think I'm him. To be behind God is a good place to be. In fact, it's the only place to be if you want to be saved. You know, if Martin Luther were alive today, well, besides being almost 600 years old, he would be a part of the 50 per, uh, 56% that believes both God and the devil exists. In one of his sermons, listen to this. This is absolutely fantastic. He said, I awoke last night and the devil came and wanted to debate with me. He rebuked and reproached me, arguing that I was a sinner. To this I replied, tell me something new, devil. I already know that perfectly well. I have committed many a solid and real sin. Indeed, they must be good, honest sins, not fabricated or invented ones, because God was willing to send his own beloved son to take all my sins upon himself, so that now the sins I have committed are no longer mine, but his. And so if you wish to talk about my sins, go talk to God about them, because they are now his and not mine. You know, Luther may have gotten really cranky in his old age, but he still does a pretty good job of reminding us what's real and what's powerful and what brings us hope. You know, as your preacher, I am authorized to forgive your sins, not because I'm great or powerful, but because the God we worship is. It's not me forgiving you. It's not me raising you back to life every time you fail, every time you've begun to think that the darkness is going to swallow you up, every time you think that there's no hope. This 75-cent piece of plastic only has power because of the God who loves you, who can't imagine heaven being heaven without you. I know looking at the cross isn't easy. And sometimes believing that God had to suffer and die to save you, that's really not easy. And getting behind Jesus, well, none of us likes to take a backseat to anyone, especially when we think we know what we're doing. And him calling us Satan, that really hurts. But there's some truth to it. Because we all would like to take the shortcuts. 
that's not going to get us where we're going. It's not a magic wand or one of those as seen on TV miracle shortcuts I wave when I speak God's grace and forgiveness into your life. It's the sign of the cross, once bloody and covered in death, but now a promise of life for all who believe. You see, God didn't take shortcuts in creating us, and He certainly wasn't going to take any shortcuts when it came to redeeming us and saving us. If someone were to ask, who do you say He is? The simplest answer would be, the one I'm willing to walk and live behind, because He has always had my back. And so I don't mind following Him wherever He goes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.